But I want to give you this afternoon an overview to help you understand what's ahead and what you ought to think about and pray about and how you ought to react to all of this because there are hundreds of new people attending church this last year. Many young people have grown up and not ever understood the overview, let's say. And so I want to give you some of that this afternoon. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, if you would. Luke chapter 21. And let's begin here near the end. And I'll go back to some of the earlier part later. Luke 21, beginning in verse 34. He'd been describing the terrible things that are happening or going to happen. But he says in verse 34, Christ said, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. It's so easy to get involved with our family, to get involved with our business, to get involved with all the stuff of this life that we don't really have our mind on what Christ is doing and what God is doing and intervening in human affairs. I think most of our brethren honestly do feel that things are going to sort of continue on. It's hard for them to imagine. It's hard for you to imagine that things are really going to be different far beyond what most of you have realized probably in five or ten years. And I think personally that things are going to start changing big time in less than five years. I may be wrong. I don't mean the tribulation beginning, but I mean the pre-tribulation downfall of this nation is going to start happening big time probably in less than five years. In other words, I think it's beginning to happen right now, and a lot of you understand that. I grew up during the Great Depression when banks were failing and people were out of work. It's not that bad yet, but it just would take a little bit more to push us over the cliff, and we need to understand that. And a lot of the young people may just be wide-eyed and scared to death and new members that they see some of this stuff happening and we don't tell them about it ahead of time because their whole life is going to be changed. These kids are used to pushing a button and having TV and a whole make-believe world in front of them or having their iPods and their cell phones and all this stuff. That's all going to be gone in a very few years. And for God's people, if we're taken to a place of safety, if we're watching and praying... We may not have any of that stuff. Probably won't. Now, we don't know if Petra is the place of safety. I've been there and seen it. Spent parts of two days inside Petra. Walked around in there and all kinds of things. Great big rock valley in Jordan. Interesting how God describes Christ as the rock. Petra, and Petra means that, of course, and a lot of dualities there that indicate that might be the place. But if we're in Petra, or Petra, and I think the better pronunciation is Petra, the Arabs pronounce it a little bit different. I found all over the world, people, you think you know how to pronounce something, then you go to the real place and you don't at all. <laughs> but at any rate, let's say Petra. But people might be arguing about which cave they get. Some of you might be arguing, the guy now, well, you've got a bigger cave than I did. You've got to learn to get over that even now. And a lot of you young people, if you're taken to a place of safety, if you're watching and praying, or you're young enough, your parents are watching and praying, Where is your television going to be? It ain't going to be around. (laughs) Think about it, brethren. Your whole life will change. There won't be any television, no doubt. There will not be any computers at all. God will simply put us out under the open sky, and we will have time to think. People will worry, where's my extra set of clothes? Where's the extra pair of earrings or something like that as women worry about? Where's the extra set of earrings? They won't be there. 
whatever you had on will perhaps last, as God caused Israel's clothes to last during the time they were fleeing, you know, and, and wandering in the wilderness. A lot of unusual things are going to happen. That's all you'll have. Where will your food come from? Where will your water come from? That's probably all you'll have is food and water from God, probably supernaturally to some extent. So we have to understand, and instead of looking at the television or going to the corner movie and getting a make-believe thing, you'll look up at the sky and you realize I'm here, God is up there, my life is in His hands. That's all I have. My life is in His hands. So brethren, think about that a little bit ahead of time. We need to think that way. Take heed, lest you be weighed down with carousing and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Little muskrats and little animals, you know. My dad used to set a muskrat line out in a turkey creek out north of Joplin. And during the early morning hours, he would get up before he went to high school and go around up and down the creek and get his muskrat traps or, or clean them out and take out the muskrats. So he'd get their hides and made money on that. Now, that seems evil today, but people used to trap animals all the time, and that was considered very normal, and so on. He was an outdoors man. Little animal goes along as a rat, you know, and there's some nice food. Snap! They can't get away. Their eyes bulge. It's too late. It's going to be too late for a lot of you people here, a lot of you people around the world, unless you get close to God, perhaps in a way that you have never done before. It will suddenly happen. And you won't be ready. Maybe I won't be ready. Because I'm not trying to pretend I'm perfect. None of us are perfect, but we need to think about it. We need to take it seriously. It will come as a snare. Watch, therefore. Christ tells us, watch these events. Let these events motivate you to get close to the real God of creation. And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. You see, there is a place of escape. He definitely indicates that many times that you may be counted worthy, but you have to be worthy. You have to do your part. You have to do something. You have to walk with God. It isn't automatic. As you've heard me say, a lot of the old uh, brethren in the old days in worldwide say, well, I send my tithe to Mr. Armstrong. I come to church, so I I'm going to be there. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But some of them were cussing. Some of them were smoking. Some of them were drunkards. A few of them were wife beaters adulterers, other things like that. We came to find out as the church got very big. They weren't going to be there just because of those things. Just because you warm a seat doesn't mean you'll be there. You've got to have Christ living in you. That's what helped prepare you and make you worthy. Christ living in you. So pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. He didn't say they might come to pass. They will come to pass, brethren, and stand before the Son of Man. So we want to have our mind on these things in the right way, not let them scare us to death, but stir us to action and to draw close to the great God who's guiding these events. And so again, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of these events. There are actually dozens and dozens of them. I would have to have a whole series of sermons. Maybe I should have the Mr. Rod McNair make out the schedule and put me three Sabbaths in a row and then cover them all sometime. But I better let you rest for a while after this sermon. But if we can cover them all in a row with one after the other after the other, it might be helpful. You get the whole picture that way. Turn to Matthew 24 now. 
Matthew chapter 24, brethren. Here, as you know, is the best and most thorough uh, outline, let's say, of the big prophetic event from Jesus Christ himself. Luke 21 has a similar, but Christ inspired, I think, Matthew, and Matthew was guided to put it in a more totally orderly way, as most of you know. Matthew 24, verse 3, As Christ said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples said, Tell us, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the end, what, the end of the world, the world will blow up? No, the end of the age. This human society will come to an end. And Jesus said, Take heed that no one deceives you. Then he describes false prophets and false Christs. You have to watch out for them. That's the first thing to watch for. Secondly, wars and rumors of wars. We're having that all over this earth, to know, as you know. War in Afghanistan, war in Iraq, wars and partial wars and terrorist things going on in Nigeria and all over Africa, frankly, and other parts of Asia and other parts of the Middle East, just all over the place. It's increasing more than ever before. Then he said, there will be famines. Are there going to be famines here? Yes. Here in the United States and Britain and Canada and Australia. And there will be pestilences. Pestilence means disease epidemics. And there will be earthquakes in various places. He did say just in Israel all over. So far the big earthquakes have been in Mexico and Japan and Asia and places like that. They have not been right here, but they're going to be here, of course. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That's not the end, but the beginning. Then they'll deliver you. The Christians will be delivered up to tribulation. And brethren, a lot of us are going to be persecuted because we're preaching the truth. They won't like us. In the end, perhaps the Laodiceans will be persecuted and frankly hurt a lot more because unless they're repenting early on, they won't be taken to a place of safety. But early on, some of us in this church may be hurt more because we're preaching so strongly the world will hear about us. They'll hate our guts because we're convicting them. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. He says they don't like me because they don't want to come to the light, Jesus said. The light blinds their eyes. It makes them mad. As we preach the truth and tell them their sins, they won't like us. So we will be persecuted. And please don't be shocked. I hope you'll visit some of us ministers in jail. <laughs> okay? Some of us may be there. I'm not kidding. I'm not meaning to kid about it. It's going to happen. I'm not worried in that sense. But I've been, you know, in jail before when I when I was uh, 12 years old. A uh, uh, kid were uh, laying out furniture and and Halloween and a whole bunch of us got put in jail for a couple hours. The police tried to scare the fire out of us, and that's all. <laughs> anyway, those things happened to kids. That was my kid stuff when I was I was just 12 years old too. But anyway, I've never been in jail for any offense or anything like that. But I know we're going to be put in jail. Mr. Ames and Dr. Vanell and I and many other ministers, if we preach strongly, we may be put in jail. Our local ministers may be put in jail sometimes. And when some of us may be put in jail, ministers and brethren, because of political correctness, political correctness, if we try to continue to preach and teach against homosexuality and homosexual marriages, Country after country is making that a crime. A lot of you read about that. I don't have time to read all the clippings. Monica knows all the clippings she keeps for me in the file. Just country after country. They're going to go after people. They don't want us to condemn those perverts. That's what they are. They are perverts. And it's an abomination in the sight of God. But they don't like that. 
And they're going to persecute those who do. They will persecute us for preaching against abortion. Perhaps the time will come when they'll even persecute us for preaching against adultery or almost anything. Because people don't like the truth. It hates, they hate the truth. It convicts them. It makes them feel guilty. So there will be then persecution. And they, that you will be hated by all nations. As I said before, that indicates that God's true church will be known though. Somehow we will get on more stations or through the internet or through outside persecutions and the media putting us right on the front page. We will be hated by all nations. The impact of the work will be far greater. And then many will be offended, betray one another. Some of our own loved ones will betray us, our friends and brethren, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets, not a few, many will rise and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, people turning away from God's laws in every possible way, the love of many will wax cold, but he who endures to the end. Will you endure to the end? As we read about these things, please think about it. And for your good, not mine, pray about it. But it's very important because it is going to happen. Now, he gave this series of events, as you could see. First, what? False prophets. Next, wars and rumors of wars. Next, famine. Next, uh, disease epidemics. And then earthquakes and so on. Turn quickly, if you would, to Revelation chapter 6. And here you find that Christ, the revelator, describes the same series of events, the same exact series of events there. As he opens the seals here, why then it shows here the Lamb, Christ opened one of the seals, he sees a white horse. And I don't have time to prove all that, most of you know this, I just want to give you the overview, but that white horse does not indicate uh, something good, as most of the Protestants try to make it, it, it look out to be. It's a false prophet. First is the false prophets, and next you find a verse 4, fiery red horse to take peace from the earth. Next, wars. Then verse 5, the third seal is open, and then you find a black horse with a pair of scales weighing out the food. False prophets, wars, famine, lack of food. Then in verse 7, the fourth seal is open, pale horse, the name who sat on him was death. Disease epidemics are next, just like God said back in, in Matthew 24. The same thing is given here in the exact same order. And power was given unto them over these first horsemen to take one-third of hum humanity, over one-fourth, I mean, of the earth to kill with the sword uh, and with hunger, death, and by the beasts of the earth. And then the fifth seal is opened, and that is the great tribulation, which is Christ described next by Christ back in Matthew 24. And uh, as you turn back to Matthew 24, let's turn back there again briefly. He shows them the gospel of the kingdom must be preached as a witness in verse 14, verse 15. And then the abomination of desolation comes along. Some terrible pagan statue is going to be put right in what is an altar or temple of God in a blasphemous way. That's a sign similar to what Antiochus Epiphanes did back about 170 A.D. And then those in Judea were to flee. A time comes to flee. And then he says in verse 21, For then, right after that sign, that's the last major sign, get it, then there will be great tribulation, such as has never was since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor, nor shall ever be. Never again something that awful. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. All humanity would be exterminated. 
and the world will become, the earth would be a very empty place. It shows there's a time when men will have weapons of mass destruction, which they never had before to bring about cosmicide. As we've said, now we have that capability with atomic and hydrogen weapons, bacteriological warfare, and all the other things that man is inventing. But what about those of us in the United States, Canada, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa? What about the Anglo-Celtic peoples of the world? Do they get treated any differently? These things are going to happen everywhere, but sometimes we talk about us, and those of you who are of other nationalities remember the bombs and the disease epidemics are not prejudiced. <laughs> they just strike everybody. So if you're here in Israel, you'll have to suffer the same thing, and we all have to understand that. And so we're not trying to persecute anyone who's of a different race at all. In fact, God is going to use a whole variety of people to bring us down. The Chinese are going to help us come down, I think, because of the economic thing, the trade uh, deficits we're running up with Orient and elsewhere. The Germans and people in Europe are going to bring us down by being part of the beast power. Other nationalities are going to help bring us down in many, many different ways. Why? Because they're bad. Well, yes, they have human nature. They're bad. But specifically because we're bad. Because the American and British descended peoples have been given the promises God gave to Joseph, our father. The greatest national blessings given to any peoples in human history. And we have squandered those blessings. We have not honored God with that. And God is going to take them away and punish us with the greatest national tribulation that has ever taken place in earth's history. As we just read here in Matthew 24. It's because we're bad. So don't any of you of different ethnic backgrounds get mixed up. And you brethren here, let me hope you understand. I'm not just preaching to you, but they're filming this. This will be seen around the world in many different places. So we're preaching against all of our human nature here. We all have to understand. Are we, the Anglo-Celtic peoples of America, Canada, Britain, and so forth, especially involved? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And you need to understand, all of you, because most of you live among us or you wouldn't be hearing these sermons. Turn to Jeremiah 30, one that we often turn to, and I won't even begin to have time to read all these scriptures, but here's one that I can start out with to give you a little bit of overview before going back to the explanation, how it affects us or why it affects us. Jeremiah chapter 30. Again, brethren, let me explain as I've done so many times, both the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all biblical scholars acknowledge, were written around 600 B.C., 585 to 605 or whatever, over 100 years after, after the ancient Israelites were taken into captivity under Shalmaneser and the Assyrians. What if I said something's going to happen, and you said, well, Mr. Meredith, that happened back during the Civil War. Have you been asleep somewhere? <laughs> no, Ezekiel and Jeremiah were not asleep because these prophecies, brethren, are dual D-U-A-L, they were dual, and they mean, they often it's very clear, there is an ancient fulfillment, an original fulfillment, and then an end-time fulfillment. They have a two-time fulfillment, the original fulfillment, and then an end-time fulfillment. That's what we mean by dual. Mr. Armstrong used to talk about dual, and, and some brethren didn't understand that. That may be the case today. Try to understand what that means and why these mean us. So God says here in Jeremiah 30, verse 4, a prophecy written over 100 years after ancient Israel, our ancestor, for many of us, was taken into captivity. 
These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Now again, most Americans say Israel and Israel and Israel, Israel. They think it's all the same thing. It is not the same thing. Israel split off from Judah back after the death or at the time of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And then they became two separate nations. The northern kingdom, as it's called, was Israel or Samaria. The southern kingdom was Judah. And there were whole chapters of the Bible devoted to wars between Israel and Judah. Israel was fighting the Jews. Please understand that. And you brethren around the world, Israel was fighting the Jews. You see that over and over. So they're two separate peoples. We're the people, the descendants of the ten tribes of Israel here in America, Britain, the Anglo-Saxon Celtic people, and the Democratic peoples of Northwestern Europe. But the Jews split primarily in the nation calling itself Israel, which would be better named Judah. But more Jews live in the United States than live in Judah, as far as that's concerned, or live in Israel. Used to be there more Jews in greater New York City than in the whole nation of Israel. But now I think the nation has a few more than in New York. But vast numbers of Jews live in the other parts of Israel. And they are Judah. For thus says the Eternal, We've heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? Every man is grabbing his stomach. He's scared to death. What's going on? All faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. Now think about that, brethren. The translations are pretty unanimous on that. None is like it. Does this match up to all the other times like that? Yes. For Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, and 22, This is the greatest time of trouble that has ever been, known, or ever shall be. It's that same time. When you read about it back in Ezekiel 5, that he will do as he has never done before, nor ever shall do again. The same thing, the same single greatest time of trouble in human history and other places. The Great Tribulation. Who does the Great Tribulation come on? The Chinese or the Russians? No. It is the time of Jacob... Think about it carefully if you don't fully understand this. You can help understand this or explain this to your neighbor if you can, and your, your brethren, your friends, your relatives, if you can get it straight yourself. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. Who was Jacob? Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. 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 See, that's who it's talking about. Israel. The time of Israel's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. But as I've said, boy, does he get into it first. The worst time of trouble in human history, but he will finally be delivered. Then it says, there will come to pass, I'll break his yoke. A great yoke of slavery is going to be put on us and burst your bonds. We will be in slavery. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. I'm reading the New King James translation, the New King James, which we feel is more accurate, and Mr. Armstrong did as well. For many years before he died, that was the official translation of the, of the church. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the eternal their God and David their king whom will rise up, who I will raise up for them. So what's the time setting? What's the time setting? Well, it's obviously the time of the end when this final uh, uh, punishment comes. You see, the original punishment was 120 or 30 years before this was written. And the end time is the time when the David is going to be resurrected from the dead. That's what it's talking about. So this trouble on modern Israel or the descendants of the house of Israel takes place 
just before and leading up to the second coming of Christ as King of Kings when the resurrection comes and King David will be resurrected. And parts of whole chapters of the Bible are devoted to that. Read Ezekiel 36. Read Ezekiel 37. Talking about King David being put over all 12 tribes again, getting his old job back in the resurrection. That's what it's talking about. So it's very interesting to see all these things come together. Now to get a very brief background, and I encourage all of you very strongly, brethren, you may have seen it or you may have just skimmed it, but I want all of you, brethren, here and you, brethren, around the world, if you don't get it, get it again. Read it, study it, mark it, look it up. This is a key thing. Get the booklet, a magnificent booklet written by Mr. John O'Gwen, The United States and British Commonwealth and Prophecy, however it's worded. We changed the name about five times through the years, so you'll excuse me. Even Monica smiles, I can't ever remember the name of the booklets. The old booklet I got back in the 1940s was the United States and Prophecy. And then later, Dr. Hay helped Mr. Armstrong enlarge it and expand it. It became the United States and British Commonwealth and Prophecy. And then we had one, and we changed its name. And I think United has another similar one. They change, has that name. And then Mr. Gwynn wrote this one and a new one and so on. So we've had different names. They're all essentially the same thing, United States and Britain and Bible Prophecy. So that's what that booklet is. Get it, study it, understand it. It is a tremendous key to understanding about 90% of all end-time prophecy. But one key verse or passage or two that can help you understand it is way back in the book of Genesis. Turn back there, if you would. Genesis chapter 48. After describing, as the booklet does, all the great promises on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, how they would be the great people and great company of nations, how they would possess the gates of their enemies. And when Mr. Armstrong used to talk about the gates of the enemies, I didn't get it as a 19-year-old kid, but now I do and have for many years. Now you read almost every week about the Strait of Hormuz and about 70% of the world's oil going through that strait and the, the Iranians are threatening to block it if we cause trouble, or Israel does. That's a, a strait the British used to control from two sides. The British used to control the Suez Canal. The British used to control the southern entrance of the Red Sea. America used to control the Panama Canal. Britain used to control the Malays, which are also mentioned often in, in, in news events now. A great important strait in Southeast Asia through which billions of dollars of commerce passes and great warships have to go through there, which saved them almost a thousand miles going clear around the whole area of Indonesia in order to save time in time of war. Tremendously important gates that God gave Britain and America. And now they're all gone, as you've heard me say, except two. All gone, except Gibraltar and the Falkland Islands, still controlled by Britain. Will Britain control those to the very end? Maybe, but I doubt it. I'm sure one or both of those will be taking, taken from Britain. So as you watch and pray, watch the little squiggles in the world news They'll be saying, well, the Argentinians are agitated to get back the Maldives, they call them. And the people in Spain on the, in the north, and I think it's Morocco in the south, are always agitated to get Gibraltar back. Probably the EU, the European Union, will back Spain in getting back the, the Gibraltar. And Britain will not have it anymore. It'll be taken away. They won't control that big sea gate. One by one by one, all the dominoes are falling in your lifetime. And you brethren around the world and you young people, 
We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're not talking about Santa Claus. We're talking about real things happening to real people, but the hundreds of millions, major nations, things that affect your life and the food you're going to eat and the gasoline you don't have and the high prices you are beginning to pay. And you're just beginning because it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And so we find back here in in Genesis chapter 48 how Israel, before he died, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, had his son Joseph's sons brought to him. And in verse 14, Israel, Jacob, remember, now called Israel, Jacob meant usurper, and uh, of course Israel meant prevailer with God. Israel, Ale is one of God's names. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger. Often God gives the greater blessing to the younger. Normally it goes to the older, but sometimes he switches for a certain reason. And his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. See, God guided him to do this, for Manasseh was the firstborn. He normally would have gotten the greater blessing. And he blessed Joseph, that is Israel, blessed Joseph, his son, through his grandchildren. He said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all life, my life long, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named on them. Who bears the name Israel today? Not the Jews. Not the Jews in God's promise, in God's prophetic timetable, God's prophetic word, but Ephraim and Manasseh. We bear the name Israel in prophecy. Let my name, Israel, be named on Ephraim and Manasseh. And let the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then Joseph tried to get his father to change hands and give the greater blessing to Manasseh. And he said, no. Verse 8, 19, I know, my son, he also shall become a people and he shall be great. Yes, America is Manasseh. And we've been the greatest nation in modern history. A great nation. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. Britain at its peak was greater than the United States. I remember being deputy chancellor at our college in Britain and some of the young people go, well, you know, we're in this little island of England and, and they were over there in the London uh, fog and rain and didn't look very impressive. They said, how come Britain's greater? I said, well, you're just looking at this little island. You know, I said, get on an airplane, you fly south and east a little bit, then you land in Egypt. That's Ephraim. Fly a little further south to Sudan. You know, that's, again, the British flag. They control that. Fly a little further south. You go to Nairobi. Britain, the British troops were there when David, John, no, when, uh, yes, Raymond and Aaron and I were there. Kenya, you fly a little south, you land in Salisbury, South Rhodesia. Britain, north, went back up to baptize Mr. Mwambul in North Rhodesia. Britain, you go down to South Africa again, part of the British Empire. You fly way across the sea to this vast nation, just as big as the United States and, and uh, square miles, Australia. Come back a little bit to this beautiful, rich, lush area, New Zealand. Go further east, the star of the British crown, India, vast nation, hundreds of millions of people, part of the British Empire, and so on. All over the earth. Canada, much bigger than the United States and land area, part of the British Empire. The United States small by comparison to what Britain was at its peak. So try to understand that. He blessed him, and his descendants shall be a multitude of nations, or a company of nations, as the authorized version has it. Britain was a company of nations, the commonwealth, and at its peak, the empire. And so he blessed them, saying, By you Israel will bless, 
Say, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Probably the British have a little bit more conservatism and God could see that in the children. I see different strengths in my children. And he sent the Americans come over with their cameras and their chewing gum and the kind of mix with the people in a certain way and don't bring the same respect. The British as colonizers weren't mean. They made some mistakes, yes, but basically they stayed a little different. They had a little bit more uh, dignity, a little bit better at organizing the other peoples of the world in the way they did at that time. And God knew that. God knew that, so he let them have the greater blessing. But this is what God himself said. You go to the next chapter. Jacob called his sons, Genesis 49, verse 1. He said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in when? Way back then? No. In the last days. Now. The last days. Gather together. Hear you, sons of Jacob. Reuben, you're my firstborn. You're the beginning of my mind and strength, yet they had a lot of blessings. And they first were in Canada, got pushed out by the British. They were first in India, got pushed out by the British. It's kind of amazing how they often got there first, but somehow God turned it around each time and let Britain control it. Because you went up to your father's bed. A sexual looseness. Simeon and Levi are, are brothers, instruments in cruelty and so on. He said little bits and pieces about them and the other nations down in verse 21. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He gives goodly words. The Swedes, apparently, the Nobel Prize and so on. Notice just one little verse to them and to Asher and to Gad. That's all it said about these people. All it said, nothing virtually. Verse 22 begins a peon of praise. To who? To our ancestor. That's who. A peon of praise of magnificent prophecy. On and on. Joseph. Our father, the father of the American and British descended peoples, is a fruitful bough, a bough by the well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly hated him, shot at him. His bow retained, remained in strength. His arms were made strong by the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Yes, the stone of Scone, where the kings were inaugurated on, crowned on. That is in Israel. By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies under, good weather, absolutely fantastic resources of oil, of coal, of steel, of tungsten, of all kinds of, of mineral wealth, of the deep that lies under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, wonderful children with helpful places to grow up in. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. What does that sound like? Sounds like God bless America. To the mountains, to the valleys, to the oceans, rich with foam, you know. God bless them. Sounds like that, does it almost. These people have had an awesome blessing above any peoples on the face of the earth. We have had those blessings. And now they're beginning to be taken away. And God help us. To understand, to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. You remember the story how Joseph was separate and he had this dream and his brothers harassed him and he was sent away and sold into slavery. And what happened? When he got in Egypt, what did he do? He forgave his brothers and he saved up the wheat and he helped pass out that wheat to the whole world. In modern times, who's been feeding the rest of the world when they get in trouble? The British and American peoples, that's who. Who sent the 600 ships filled with grain to India a few years ago? We did. Who helped all these other people when they get in trouble? We did. 
the people of Joseph. It's in our blood. But we have our personal sins. We damn God's name. We remove God from the public square. We curse Him. We commit adultery. And now we're getting into homosexuality and every foul thing that God hates. And He's taken away our blessings bit by bit. But these things have come on the head of Joseph. And so it's us. And we've had those blessings. It's a magnificent thing. Our name is Israel. And our particular nations are Joseph. That part of Israel. Joseph was one of the twelve tribes of Israel, one of the ten tribes of the nation of Israel, the so-called lost ten tribes. You go on now to Leviticus 26, and I covered that a few weeks ago, so I'll quickly mention a few things about it here. Leviticus 26, he says in verse uh, 3, and why do I read this? Well, brethren, as Mr. Armstrong said, this is one of the most fundamental prophecies of the Bible. It's the first major prophecy telling in detail what was to happen to our people in detail. Not to the Gentiles, not to the Germans or the Poles or the Russians or the Chinese or the blacks or the Hispanics or anyone else, but to the peoples of Israel and particularly Joseph when you understand it and put all the scriptures together. He said in verse 3, if you walk in my statutes, his statutes include the holy days and tithing and so on, and keep my commandments and do them. If you really obey God, I'll give you rain in due season. God will bless your land. He will bless your job, your work, your business. You'll eat your bread to the full. Run in the land safely. I'll give you peace in the land. Verse 6, everything will work out good overall. But in verse 14, if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes, a number of his statutes specifically forbid homosexuality, and they certainly indirectly forbid abortion, murdering little children, and yet we despise God's statutes. Our Supreme Court backs it up, breaking and smashing God's laws and God's statutes. Now, if your soul abhors my judgments, boy, they hate anyone these, the homosexual so-called gay activists coming along. They hate anything like this. Your soul abhors my judgment, so you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant. I'll do this to you. I'm going to wake you guys up for your good. He loves us, but we're going down. We would destroy ourselves and humanity if he let us keep on going this way. And he won't do that for our good. He says, I will appoint what, first of all? Terror. What's the first thing happen in modern time, the big, more recent times? Terror, terrorism. And that's going to increase. So we have to watch that. And then he says, uh, wasting disease and fever, all kinds of disease epidemics. You'll sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. A lack of food. Are they stealing our food now? No. But because of the futures markets and because of how these Gentiles are paying for our food, we're going to begin to see food shortages right here because our grain will already have been bought by China or India or these other big nations with lots of reserves, the largest financial reserves in human history. There's never been a nation approach that much money as the Chinese have. All they have to do is push a button and take out money out of our banks and financial institutions. They could bring us down in a matter of a day or two, frankly. I'm not exaggerating if they choose to. Right now, they're not doing it because they need our help in certain ways and but the time will come when some of those nations will do that. But this is going to happen, and finally there will not be food here at all, period, anyway, because of the drought and other things. Those who hate you shall reign over you. Yes, finally, different nations will take us over. 
Is it all going to be done exactly the way we used to think? No, brethren, I've come to realize that back in Mr. Armstrong's day and my day too in the earlier ministry. Not all his fault. Many of us made mistakes. But we thought it was going to be all at once. We'd be along and all of a sudden we'd hear some noise and the bombs would start dropping on New York and Washington and London and so on. No, it's going to happen bit by bit. And it's already beginning to happen. South Africa's already gone. South Africa's been taken over by others. Is it because the blacks are evil? They're not any more evil than the whites because the whites oppressed them. It's payback time. But God is allowing it to happen. He's allowing it to happen. It's basically gone to the white people and they're fleeing by the hundreds of thousands as an article in the British uh, Sunday Telegraph brought out when I was there. They're getting out and that nation will go down as the whites go out and the educate. They didn't give the chance enough, the blacks enough education before they left and they're having troubles. But in the, the papers don't like to talk about that part of it, but it's happening. And so they're coming down. Vast parts of the United States may... And I've told you this before, I love our Latin brethren very much, and I'll lay down my life for them. But God is using them to humble us in certain ways. They say, as you know, that land is ours. Because originally Mexico controlled Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, parts of Texas, and so forth. They say, we're going to get it back. They call it the Reconquista, the reconquering. And great big rallies are being held right now, in these last few months and the months to come, in Tucson and Phoenix and San Diego and Los Angeles, all over, with their speakers getting up and saying openly, and the American policemen just letting, we're going to take this back again. It's not some mystery. So they may get it back, bit by bit. On the periphery, our nations will be taken over by different ones of the non-Israelite peoples to humble our people. Are those people horrible? No. They think they think it's their land and they think we've got it from them and so they have a right to take it back and God is putting in their heart to do that to humble us. Pharaoh persecuted Israel. What did God call Pharaoh? My servant Pharaoh. <laughs> think about it. Cyrus the Great came along. My servant Cyrus the Great. My servant Nebuchadnezzar. Read it up. Read about it, I mean. I'm butchering the language here in my haste. Read it. My servant, they were his servants to punish Israel for Israel's good. So let's understand it. We're not against these other people. Germany is going to lead the coming beast power in Europe, undoubtedly. Always have been and are beginning to be the leader there. I'm partly German, as I've said. I'm not hating the Germans. Some of my best friends were German. I'll never forget the wonderful years I spent with Dr. Herman Hay and regard him as one of the best friends I've ever had on this earth. But he was totally German, proclaimed that. He didn't think he was an Israelite sifted through, but he was a German. All his ancestors were German professors and so on. And he had that strength. Oh, God's using people to humble us. After this, verse 18, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times or sevenfold more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power. And that's beginning to happen in many different ways. As you read the headlines, brethren, please think about it. The American dollar goes down. The most hated nation on earth. President Bush is hated. They don't like him. They don't like us. We're being having to give up this sea base. We're having to recall these troops. We can't do this. We can't do that. We're getting weaker. They're getting stronger. It's going to keep on, keep on, keep on. It makes us feel bad. But it's going to happen. I will break the pride of your power. 
And I will make your heavens like iron, a tremendous drought and famine. Your strength will be spent in vain. Your land shall not yield its produce. The time will come when we'll not just sell it to others. We won't even have enough in the first place. All through the Southwest, if you've seen the TV news recently, they're talking about Phoenix and Las Vegas and these other nations running out of water. Running out of water. About one-fourth of the United States is in terrible drought, even worse than we are. And we're getting in a condition of drought right here, as we know, and only able to water our lawns one day a week. So don't think this is way off. This is beginning to happen right now. It's going to get much worse unless we repent as a nation. If our nation would cry out to God on our knees and turn back wholeheartedly, this could change. Do you see that happening? I would be glad for it to happen. My children, and especially my grandchildren, could have a better life and get married and grow up. They'd love that. But I don't see it happening. And I've watched our nation for a long time as I watch what they're putting out on television and the smart lake sassy attitude with which they treat God and any true Christians or even halfway true Christians. They hate the idea of a real God, most of them. And they smirk at it. No, I don't think they're going to repent. So these things will happen, my brethren, and we have to understand. We must understand. He says over in verse uh, 31, I will lay your cities waste. And then down in verse uh, 32 and 3, I will bring your land to desolation. Verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations. They draw out a sword after you. So our people will be taken into slavery. And your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. One reason I wanted to read this particularly is because people say, oh, this all meant ancient Israel. Well, either it's God is a liar and didn't know what he's talking about, or else it's not ancient Israel. And in fact, it is not ancient Israel at all, because when you turn, turn with me here to see it, this is what happened to ancient Israel. Second Kings, Second Kings 17, it describes in detail what happened to ancient Israel. And it says in Second Kings uh, 17, verse 22, the children of Israel walked in the way of sins of Jer- Jeroboam, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. He, he punished them. He took them off. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, see, ancient Germany, as it is at this day. They were taken away. Then were their cities destroyed. Read the next verse. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Eva, Hamath, and from Sepharvim, uh, Sepharvaim, however, and placed them in the cities of Samaria. Oh, the cities of northern Israel or Samaria were not destroyed. These other nations were brought into those cities and they were not destroyed. They were placed in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. Oh, they were not destroyed. But they're going to be destroyed and the final fulfillment of this prophecy in the years just ahead of us. So that's what we have to understand. New York, Washington, Los Angeles, London, Sydney, probably all going to be gone, have to be rebuilt in a much better way. A much People, the, the Greens, you know, want, want things to be more environmentally friendly. Well, they're partly right. They go crazy, of course, the tree huggers sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, we jump from one ditch into the other ditch. But they're partly right. The cities need to be rebuilt in an environmentally friendly way. And they will be. They will be when Christ returns because they won't have to try to fight their way through the various 
uh, local ordinances of New York to get a permit from somebody to do that. It'll all be clean. It'll just be one great big vast emptiness. They'll be rebuilt. So that's what's going to happen, frankly. Deuteronomy 28. Turn now to Deuteronomy 28. A lot of you are familiar with that, of course, but this is the one that describes in detail again what's going to happen because it happened to our ancestors partly in ancient Israel and it's going to happen to us today. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and let's begin reading here in verse 1. Now it shall diligently, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the eternal your God to observe his commandments that the Lord will set uh, you on high above all the nations of the earth. And that's what's happened to us. We have been set on high, brethren. As you know, we've been very blessed. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. And it uh, says in verse 5, Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl, you know, your food. Blessed shall be when you come out and when you go in. The eternal, your God, will cause your enemies who rise up to you to be defeated. American Britain together won World War I. We won World War II. We won the Gulf War. We've been blessed so much. But now everything is going the other way. But he said in verse 15, It shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Eternal to observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you, all these curses will come upon you. Curse shall you be in the city. What's happening in our big cities? Vast areas of our major cities are crime-ridden, filled with graffiti and broken bottles and so on, are filled with crime and violence where people are afraid to walk out at night. Even men are afraid to walk out at night. Curse shall you be in the country. Curse shall be your basket and eating bowl. You see, the, the, the produce, your productivity is going to be cut back even on the farms. Curse shall be the fruit of your body. More childhood diseases and children being born deformed. Curse shall you be when you come in and go out. The Eternal will send on you cursing, confusion, rebuke, and all that your hand is set to do until you're destroyed. God will take your nation away. The Eternal will make the plague cling to you. Disease epidemics. The Eternal will strike you with consumption, fever, inflammation, severe fever, and with a sword. War. Your heavens will become bronze. Drought. Verse 24, the eternal will change the rain of your land to powder, terrible drought and famine, and so on. And notice the last part of verse 25. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. And brethren, that is beginning to happen because we can't pay our debts or a trouble, as many nations look at it, starting the war in Iraq. And other things we're doing around the world, trying to project American power everywhere, even when it's not wanted and perhaps not needed. And nations around the world say, how come these Americans come over here and kill our people and bomb us in search of uh, uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists? There aren't any Al-Qaeda terrorists. Just kill our little women and children over here. Maybe we thought there were Al-Qaeda terrorists. I don't mean our men are doing it on purpose. But somehow we're blundering here and blundering there unbelievably in a way never happened before. And God is bringing us down and causing us to be despised around the world. You'll become troublesome. And that's what's happening. Verse 28, the eternal will strike you with madness, blindness, confusion. Yes, half of the hospital beds in the United States and Britain are not occupied people physically sick, but mentally ill. They have mental and emotional illnesses. And that's why they're there. Madness. 
You'll betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You'll build a house, but you'll not live in it. You're going to be taken over, and the enemy's not going to have any, any mercy at all. They'll just take away your children, your wife, everything. Our people aren't used to being treated like that. I know you people don't think that way. You never had that happen here. You say, that can't, it's going to happen. Don't think it's strange. If you watch the BBC news, it's happening all the time in Africa. My wife and I see it. These raiding parties, John Jaweed warriors come in and rape these women and multiple rape them. Little children are there crying and even seeing their own mother mistreated. I came into Berlin and in Germany back in 1954 and I heard the stories about every, virtually, I would say every, but virtually every female over 12 was raped when the Russians came in. I asked some women about that. They look kind of funny. They just kind of, they nod. That's what happened because they were raped too. They hate to admit it. The Gentile Russian people, atheists, filled with hate, taught to kill and fight for years, away from home, away from their family. They came in. They raped virtually every woman in that city. It's going to happen. God says it'll happen. Your wife will be given to someone else and your daughter, and your eyes shall look with and, and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. Man, hit it! You can't do anything. I'd like to hit him in the face. You raise your hand, they'll shoot you dead with machine guns. Think about it. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land. The Eternal shall bring you and the king whom you set over you, your, your leader, to a nation which neither your father, you nor your fathers have known will be taken off to the, perhaps the nations of Europe may be sold as slaves into other nations of the world, as some of these verses say also, and as indicated back in Revelation. And you'll become an astonishment, verse 37, a proverb and a byword among all the nations. This is the American people, the other nations will say. These are the guys that used to come over here with all their money. And look at them. They're slaves. They're slaves. It'll even astonish them. It really will, brethren. They won't fully understand it. How could this happen? But God says it'll happen because we hate His name and we despise His statutes and His commandments. God's going to speak to our people and nation in language they will understand. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Verse 41, locusts shall consume your trees. Verse 43, the alien. Again, we're not persecuting the alien. God is going to use the alien to punish us for our sins. That's what it's about. But God says this, The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. And that is happening. More and more of our leaders are non-Israelites. Our next president may be a non-Israelite for the first time in American history. The first time in American history. He shall lend to you, the Gentile, but you shall not lend to him. Is that happening? Boy, it's happening in spades. The Chinese, the Germans, the other Gentile nations of the world, the Japanese, have loaned us hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that we will never be able to repay. Never in this lifetime. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. And it's happening. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you because you did not obey the voice of the eternal your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. All the good Methodists and Baptists, and I grew up in the Methodist church, they're not all evil people. They mean well. They're nice. 
but their ministers have led them astray. They're blind. They don't get it. And their human nature comes out. And so they go on and they marry a second and third wife without any biblical reason to do so. They get into this homosexuality and even have women ministers and priests and even women marrying women and even homosexual priests and, and, and women lesbian priests and lesbian uh, ministers in their churches, as you know. It's a stench in God's nostrils to see that happening all over our nation. And little children being, being butchered. About 45 million human beings that ought to be here are not here because of abortion. Because of abortion. They shall destroy you because you did not obey the voice of God. And they shall be upon you, verse 46, a sign and a wonder on your descendants forever because you did not serve the eternal your God with joy. Saying, thank God we know his laws and ways. You didn't do that. Therefore you will serve your enemies, verse 48, whom the eternal will send against you in hunger, thirst, nakedness, and need of all things. We sometimes gripe if we miss a meal or we lose our job and don't have quite as much or something. I'll tell you, when this happens, all the things we've ever worried about before will seem like absolutely nothing by comparison. Absolutely nothing. When we're starving to death, our wife is taken off and we don't know what happened to her. We raise our hand and yell about it. And some guy hits us in the jaw and breaks our side of our head with the butt of his gun or literally shoots us dead right there. Shut up, you swine! That's the way they treated them in the German concentration camps. Do you think that won't happen again? You better believe that's going to happen. Therefore, you'll serve your enemies in thirst, nakedness, and in need of all things, and he will put the yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. God, our Father, but the God of justice, is going to speak to modern Israel, and he tells us this in detail. The eternal will bring a nation against you from afar as swift as an eagle flies. One of the, of course, symbols of the German nation is an eagle. We have the American eagle, the German eagle, and one or two other nations use it. A nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young, and they shall do all these things, of course. And it goes on to describe that in detail, which I don't want to to read uh, all of this. Please read this verse or read this chapter, brethren, once in a while. It's not fun stuff. I understand that. I understand that. But we do need to understand what's going to happen to drive us to our knees and help us want to reach this world, help us want to reach our Israelitish brethren and all the world with the message of God's coming kingdom and to get out the Ezekiel warning to wake them up to help them before it's too late. They need that help. And there isn't any other place that's being done the way we're doing it. You know, the couple dies trying to follow Mr. Armstrong, but they're dictators themselves and kick people out of their church for almost any reason. Then there are other groups that are nice, but they don't do much work. They don't have fire in their belly. And we're the only one in between that really tries to follow the way that God taught through Mr. Armstrong for over 50 years. And we're not perfect in doing it, but we're trying. We're trying to restore apostolic Christianity. We're trying to get the gospel out with all of our hearts. Here I am, 78 years of old, and I'm tired, very tired sometimes, but I try to keep going, keep going, keep going. We've got to get this message out. With God's help, we can and will get this message out. And He will help us. He is helping us. So let's understand, God will bless us forever if we can have that attitude. He wants us to do that. Dear brethren, as you see the American and British peoples being brought down, what should you do? 
as you see the American and British financial structures coming apart, what should you do? As you see alternating storms and drought, not all drought, but storms, floods and drought, look it up in Amos, if you're writing notes. Amos chapter 4, verses 6 to 9. Again, how do I know that? Because those scriptures are dual. They're talking about Israel specifically. Read it. Alternating sometimes storms, sometimes drought. That's what's happening. As you see, disease epidemics sweep across our nation in the next several years. As you see, uh, food riots. Our people are carnal. They're going to start rioting about food like we see people in Africa do when the plane starts unloading food and they, they all grab it for what they can get. Food riots, gasoline riots, race riots, all kinds of things break out. What should you do? As you see, the beast arise in Europe. Ten nations, or brethren, ten groups of nations, because now there are 27 nations in the EU, but they're talking about an inner core over and over. There's a recent clipping I got just the other day from one of their officials. They want an inner core, the certain key nations. So it may be more than 10, but there'll be the group that controls it will be the inner core of 10 nations, not 9, not 11. God makes all these come out exactly right in the end. You'll see that. He always does. An inner core of 10 nations. As you see that, what should you do? As you see a great false prophet arise in this great false church and begin to influence people and they get so excited and maybe your former Protestant minister who you thought was a real nice guy, he suddenly says, well, we all need to get together and many of your relatives whom you thought were Protestants join this great false system. What should you do? As you see a king of the south arise in Egypt or Saudi Arabia, and the Arab nations get together in a way they never have done in modern times. What should you do? As you see God's church being persecuted and maybe some of us ministers thrown in jail, what should you do? Think about it. I just want to give you a little warning, a little make this very real because it is very real. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, brethren. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. God says here through Moses, the man of God, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 22, as Moses died, he gave us this warning. Verse 22, he said, But I must die in this land. I must not cross over Jordan. Take heed to yourselves. Don't forget the covenant God made with you. Turn aside. For the eternal your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Verse 25, when you beget children, grandchildren have grown old in the land. Has that happened? Yes, that's begun to happen in the land now. Act corruptly, get into homosexuality, drug addiction, wife swapping, cursing God's name, everything else. Yes, it's happening. And make carved images in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the eternal to God. Yes, it's happening. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will utterly be destroyed. You say he's talking about Jordan. No, it's talking in type about us. It's, our, it's a dual prophecy, you'll see. It's talking about the end, when you get to the end of the prophecy. Moses was guided by God to see what would happen to his descendants and to the people of Israel. And the eternal will scatter you among the peoples. You'll be left few in number. Does the book of Revelation say that? Yes. One third, one fourth destroyed here. Later another third destroyed. 
And there you will serve other gods. Verse 28, the work of men's hands. You're taken into a Gentile land filled with Catholic churches and idols of the Virgin Mary. Idols of St. Bartholomew. Idols of this and that saint all over the place. Many of you have seen that when you've traveled to Europe. But from there, you will seek the eternal your God. When you're really brought down in a way you Americans and Britons have never ever been brought down, you'll say, oh God, what's happening to us? And our work has got to get out there ahead of time and help people know it's going to happen, make it real to them, help them at least have a witness. So when it happens, he can't say, God, God, why didn't you tell me? They'll, God will say, I did tell you through my servants, but you would not listen. We've got to make it very real, do the best we can. But from there, in this captivity, in this horrible condition, you will seek the eternal your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do any of you seek God with all your heart and all your soul? I hope that you do. Perhaps some of you do, and certainly some of the times, many of us do, but we don't do it very consistently, perhaps. I don't mean you have to fast every day. You'd starve. <laughs> we can have a nice meal after this and enjoy each other. But overall, we'd better set aside a time to fast quite often. We'd better set aside many other times to really study, not just read, but study profoundly. And meditate on what we've read. And walk with God and pray to God. Say, help me. Help me to really get it. Help me to honestly give my life to you. It's not my life anymore. I was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, Father, and I mean it. Help me. So he says, you will seek the eternal your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. When you're in distress and all these kings come upon you. When? Way back when? No, in the latter days. So this prophecy was for our day too. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice. Because He is a merciful God. He'll hear if you cry out to Him in that way, brethren. But you've got to do it with all your heart. Remember the four keys of Christian living that I've given you so often. You've got to learn day by day to study. Not just to read, but to study this book. Carefully read it. Mark it. Read it slowly. Let it sink into your soul. Think about it. Study. Meditate as you study. And after you study, think, what did I read? Maybe go back over your markings. What does this mean? What should I do about this? Meditate. Think it through. How does this turn out in my life? Why is, are things going wrong for me now? Are they going wrong? A curse without cause does not alight, God says. If things are going wrong, why are they going wrong? Are they going wrong because you're obeying God or because you're disobeying God? Perhaps you're watering things down. Perhaps you're getting worldly. You're turning aside. Think about it. Meditate. Then, of course, you want to fast. You want to fast. Give up physical food for a while. So you just concentrate on drawing close to God. And then fourthly, you want to pray. And as I've said, you'll need to learn to pray all day long. Not just once in the morning or once at night, but to pray morning, noon, and night. And perhaps short prayers, 10 or 15 times in between, just in your mind. Father, help me here, help me there. As Mr. Armstrong used to do. He said on these trips, he'd pray that God would bless him on the trip before he left. And he'd pray on the, on the train going back and... Then he'd pray in the car, and then as he was going up to see the guy, and it was even Blackie over, uh, I think it was WGN in, in Chicago or whatever it was. WGN is Des Moines, Iowa, I guess. But one of these big stations, he said, I, pray, I prayed on the, on the way up in the elevator. 
Father, grant me favor in the sight of this man. Help me get on this station. And then he'd walk in and he'd talk confidently. He didn't act nor look down and say, I've been praying. And No, he didn't do that. That was Mr. Arnold. He let his humility be shown before God. But he prayed many times a day. And you need to do that. Pray, talk to God, walk with God, commune with God. Help me, guide me, clean me up, straighten my mind out, inspire me, strengthen me. Talk to God all day long and walk with God. Then God will bless you and help you to endure to the end. Turn back to Jeremiah chapter 29, brethren. Jeremiah 29. And here we find something happened and what God, how God works. He always works the same way in general. He says in verse 10, For thus says the eternal God, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. Jeremiah 29.10. Now he tells about the Jews. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this applies to us. He says, this, this is what you should do. He says, you will call upon me in verse 12 and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and, I, and you will seek me and find me, he told them, when you search for me with all your heart. That's the key. God does not want lukewarm Christians. Don't be a Laodicean. Do not be a Laodicean. Put your heart in your prayers. Put your heart in your work for God. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found of you, says the Eternal, and I will bring you back from your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've driven you, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away, if you search for me with all your heart. Brethren, they're going to have to do that then. What about us doing it now? Again, I could give a whole sermon and show you about Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 12, and all those places, the place of safety. Those who are watching and praying and walking with God will be taken to a place of safety. We will have to suffer. We will be persecuted from time to time for doing God's work. We may have uh, certain persecution come on us ahead of the Laodiceans, but in the end, they go into it far worse and they may go into the tribulation and stay there unless they repent and are some of the 144,000 that are brought out. We won't have to do that if we're walking with God, if we seek God with all our heart and all our souls ahead of time. If we play no games, if we cut no corners, if we truly walk with God, you say, I can't be perfect tomorrow. Okay. You won't be perfect tomorrow, neither will I. But if you wholeheartedly try at least, and that is your way of life, seeking God with all your heart, you'll be blessed. You'll be very blessed and you'll be taken to a place of safety. So think about it. So what should you do in these times that are going to come and are beginning to come? You should seek God with all your heart more than you have ever done. As you watch the evening TV, you see this is happening. As the American dollar goes down, as the euro and the United States of Europe, the beast power rises up, as China becomes more powerful, these other nations were hated, it makes it more real to you. God is coming. God is intervening. God is humbling our peoples. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, it says two or three times, three times at the end of Revelation. Pray that, think that, feel that. That's your goal. That's the way you should feel. And in the meantime, don't compete with each other in a bad way. 
Forgive each other. You'll make mistakes. Forgive each other. Love and help each other. Set aside some extra food and water, as I've warned you so often. Bad times are coming. Have your emergency supplies. As I said in the latest coworker letters, you'll be getting it. Set aside some financial resources. Get some savings. Cut corners now in that way. So you can have that in hard times. And then when hard times do come, share with one another. You're an extended family. Help each other. Share with one another as the apostolic church did. Love and help and give and share and God will take care of you. As I said earlier, remember in Petra, you're not going to have your extra set of earrings, <laughs> you ladies. <laughs> you're not going to worry you kids about which uh, television program to listen to because there won't be any television. Dead silence. Pretty soon your batteries will run out if you brought your radio. And I don't think you'll have time to grab all your radio and all your stuff. It won't be there. The sign, the, the noise will be the wind through the caves and through the valleys of Petra. Maybe an occasional helicopter up above, but God will make sure they don't get us because he's protecting us. And we will be hearing maybe warnings from Arabs coming back and forth, traders letting us know. You'll sense the earth is shaking, and you'll know great earthquakes are happening elsewhere. You may hear bombs going off way off in the distance, but you will be protected. Read Psalm 91, because you're the people of God. If you have been watching, if you have been praying, if you have been walking with God. So it's all worth it. We've got to do our part. Turn again, if you would then, to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, brethren. He says here, talking about all these things that are going to happen, earthquakes, famines, wars, disease. He says in verse 22, Luke 21, 22, For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those with nursing babies in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, God's people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. That's not just the Jews, frankly. It's talking about all of Israel, I think. And then it says, and Jerusalem, certainly them specifically, will be trampled by the Gentiles one last time. And then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring, like we saw in Katrina, like we saw in this terrible tsunami in Southeast Asia. It's not going to be something unusual then. That will be happening all over the world, and men will fear what's going on. Men's hearts fading from fear. Expectation of those things coming, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they'll see the Son of Man coming. They're going to see a great blinding light and a cloud with power and great glory. Brethren, he says this to you. Now, when these things begin to happen, they're beginning now. Don't be afraid. Just seek God with your heart, as I've said. Look up. Lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. Christ is coming. Say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and you try with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul to give your life to God as a living sacrifice, to watch and pray and to get ready and ask Him to come quickly.